0: It's tough in traditional publishing because what happens is the people who are the gatekeepers, basically, in publishing um, do their best to to take the required amount of diverse voices, but that's it. Mm. They don't want anything extra. So you'll have a disabled author um, who has an agent submit a book to a publisher and they'll say, oh, we, we already have a book by someone who's disabled this year. Like, we don't need another one, we're good. But that's not the point. Like, the point is the story, not the quota. So that's something I would also like to help change eventually if I can get my foot into the publishing world a little more.
1: Welcome back to another episode of chapter 20 something with me Kylie McDonald hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday as always guys I had mm, I'm not gonna lie I didn't really have a plan for the intro today but then it hit me all over the stupid meme that my friend Chelsea posted shout out because it's all I've been able to think of for the rest of the day it's a meme of the kool-aid man the iconic jug with the red liquid in it and there's two pictures of him side by side one is just the jug with his face on it and the other one is just the red liquid with his face on it and the question is which one makes the kool-aid man the kool-aid man the jug or the liquid guys, when I'm telling you I had an existential crisis looking on Twitter at that photograph, Mm. but I've come to the conclusion personally that it is the liquid because if it was just a mere jug, there's nothing that separates it from the other jugs in your cabinet. Am I right? If you put water in a Kool-Aid jug, does that make it Kool-Aid? No. It is the liquid Kool-Aid that you pour in there that makes it the Kool-Aid man. But apparently, I posted this, guys, I'm so deep in this on a Monday night, I swear. I, I'm so sorry. There's so many more interesting topics to be talking about, but here we are today. Um, <laughs> um, I posted this poll on Instagram. Let's look at the results currently. Um, Okay, so I posted this four hours ago. 132 votes for jar and 36 votes for liquid. So 78% of people disagree with me and I just do not understand that right now. Um, I'm very confused, a little flabbergasted you might say. And I just wanna know everyone's logic behind it. Nobody is posting why they think that. They're just clicking the button and moving on with their lives as they should because it's not that important of an issue, but it's all I could think about right now. So please, please weigh in. I don't know, DM me, whatever, or just don't care. If you don't care about this, I can't blame you. You know, you have um, more important things going on than I do today, obviously. So props to you. But, you know, if you do have a moment, let me know what you think. Is it the jug or the liquid? Other than that, I don't know. Nothing else that crazy. My hair is a mess. I have to be on air in 10 minutes, um, and my hair is a mess. I'm just looking at myself in the mirror like, Ooh, girl, get it together. Here I am, (laughs) obsessing over this stupid question about a cartoon. Okay. Anyway, we have... A amazing show for you today. Um, our guest is Maddie Parada. <laughs> oh, I just said that because in the beginning of this episode, she says you could roll your R's and say it, Parada, And I just tried to do it genuinely, and it was awful. So I'm so sorry, Maddie. So sorry. But Maddie... Maddie is a sensitivity reader and editor and she is just doing the most amazing work to let the voices of disabled people be heard and showcased in the publishing world, in the stories that we read. These people don't have a strong enough voice in our media currently and that needs to change and Maddie is one of those people fighting to make that change. And it is just so incredible to listen to her story and what she is doing with her life to make a true, pure, honest difference in this world. That is so needed. Um, So please, it'll it'll do nothing but benefit you to listen to her today. And then if you want to connect with her after, she said she's mostly on Twitter. So let me just pull that up real quick. Her Twitter is at M-I-D-B-O-P mid bop cute name i like it listen to her connect with her support her and all the amazing things she does also as always follow the podcast on instagram at chapter 20 something pod um rate review subscribe thank you thank you You could give me a follow if you want official kylie mcdonald's vote on my stupid instagram poll or you know don't and force me to do something better with my days um <laughs> perfect all right guys enjoy your day Look at all the beauty around you and appreciate it. Much love, y'all. Bye. I'm not drowning. There's no one here to
0: save.
1: okay perfect okay
0: unless you want to, you can roll the r too if you feel like it but uh, you know i can't I, do that
1: <laughs> i don't know if i can either parada. Ooh, that was kind of good yeah. parada. Well, it was a one-time yeah. thing that's it okay yeah. <laughs> all right i'm here yeah. with maddie parada today she's a sensitivity reader and an editor as well welcome maddie to the podcast how are you i'm good thanks thanks for having me of i'm excited course. to
0: be talking with you again yeah,
1: I know. It's been since college, honestly, but yeah. keep up with your life. I say I say that to everybody that <laughs> I've interviewed since college. I'm like, yeah, I'm keeping up with your life, but I haven't actually talked to anybody. I'm like, this needs to change. This is a pattern that needs to change.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's hard to keep up with people's lives through social media, especially me, because I don't really post anything like ever. Um, yeah so I'm trying to to do more of that to like help my career but I'm like mostly on Twitter now so I will post on there a lot but like Instagram and Facebook I've never on. so nobody needs it anyway honestly
1: I mean (laughs) sure people say it helps to some extent it might but at the end of the day I think it's the work that you do it's not what you post right
0: yeah and I'm just terrible at it so I, know. I guess I just like looking at everyone else's content and like commenting or whatever but I don't there's like nothing that exciting going on in my life that I need to like actually need to share it I guess yeah I feel like that's
1: most people and then they just make something that they can make seem exciting you know
0: yeah
1: definitely <laughs> it's fine but anyway, Maddie, so when you reached out to me, you said you were a sensitivity reader. And I was like, mm-hmm. that sounds really cool. I also don't know what that is. So <laughs> <laughs> um, if you had to explain it to someone who doesn't know, what is a sensitive- sensitivity reader?
0: <laughs> um, so a sensitivity reader is basically someone who um, has a certain lived experience. So in my case, like I read through disability and i um, They take that lived experience and they find manuscripts or um, receive manuscripts depending on you know if you work freelance or for a company and unpublished manuscripts they uh, read them and ensure that their that their lived experience is being accurately represented obviously those books have to have that lived experience. So I, I wouldn't be reading for someone who was like uh cognitively disabled or had a mental disability because I don't have that shared experience. Um but I do read for someone who uh has a physical disability, specifically for wheelchair users, but I will also read things for like someone who has an amputated leg or a missing another sort of missing limb or something like that, because my experience is kind of close to that, but yeah, so that's basically what I do, the, the reading part. Um, but then there's also a writing aspect to, to being a sensitivity reader, where after you read the book and after you've found what's good, what's bad, um, you usually end up summarizing it in a letter to the author or the editor, depending on who you're in contact with, stating what the problems were, what the accurate representations were, um, how to fix those problems, why they're problematic because it's easy to just say, oh, um, you're being ableist by, by saying this. but it, it's really it's really hard to explain how without like really going back and like doing research and thinking about how it's wrong to say something. I also provide resources to authors that they can go to on their own to figure out how to accurately represent disability. Wow, I mean, it's
1: such a necessary position. You would know, like, is it is this something that's
0: becoming more common in publishing companies? Definitely, it definitely is. Um, it's not the norm yet, which is which sad. Is but I know I personally work for um, a company called Salt and Sage Books. I know a lot of people who do this as a freelance job, um, like on their own. I, like mine, it is freelance, but I'm not the one handling... All the business aspect of things, which I'm really happy for. Like, they yeah. just send me the projects and I do them. I I also know people who specifically work for specific publishers doing it, but it's still not a full time like position necessarily because not every author will want that, and obviously not every book will need it necessarily. But as our world is um, becoming more accepting of diverse people it's going to become a lot more necessary. And I've also heard a lot of bad things about people being very, very underpaid uh, to do this kind of thing, which is not good because it can be a traumatic thing. Um, If I see something that someone has wrote that's incredibly ableist that I have to read over and over again and then write to them about how that's bad, like that cannot make me feel so great about myself. It can be tough at times, a tough job. and also, it's a lot of writing. I recently had to write a 20-page sensitivity letter for oh my a project I was doing. So I had like two weeks to do it. So I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. But um, I, I did do it. So I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing that. I think that's the longest thing I've ever wrote. Honestly, even in college, I don't think I wrote anything that was like 20 pages, even though I was also a, a writing major. So... Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, I'm sure it was necessary to have it 20 pages if you thought so. But, you know, what you were saying is, yes, it's so important for you to have this job and be able to communicate why certain things should be said or shouldn't be said. But it's the writers who are actually getting these stories out into the world and portraying somebody who has a certain disability in a certain way. And we need people like you who have these lived experiences to be able to say, this is who I am. And this is my story. And yeah. I would hope, I would truly, truly hope that the authors look to you with such respect and with such an open mind, just to be like, all right, I know I have my character, but this is the actual person that it's representing and that yeah. needs to be heard.
0: Yeah, and the thing about that is that I do have the viewers respect, but also I don't know if I particularly feel that way sometimes. Um, just because it really depends where it depends on the author when they want the sensitivity reader to come into the process. For example, uh, well, not for example. I personally recommend that they come in at a first draft. Mm-hmm. But most of the stuff I see is a very final draft, um, almost ready to be published. Like. The date's been announced, um, maybe the cover's been announced already. So oh, wow. I find that I, I find that a little bit problematic because if I find something that's in a majority of the story and I'm gonna ask them to change it, there's a high probability that they're not going to because they're so late in the editing process. They don't want to rework their entire book because of something I said, which I understand. I wouldn't want to do that either if I was an author. But the solution to that would be to have the sensitivity reader coming a lot earlier, but either they might not think of it or depending on who's paying for it, the publisher might be paying for it. And they might have a policy that says, this is when we bring in the sensitivity reader. Mm. And you know there's nothing else we can do about that, which is fine, but it also kind of makes my job a moot point sometimes. Right, um, that's frustrating. Like, what's the point of me going through all this work to tell you what's wrong with it and have you not fix it because it takes up too much editing time, I guess. Do you
1: end up reading the finished products?
0: No, I haven't actually. No, I, yeah, I haven't. Um, <laughs> but I should. I mean, I just I don't know all the details when I get a project, but I might not know the actual author's name. Um, so okay. that might make it hard. And by the time I'm done with it and it goes into process. The title might be different. And also sometimes I only get, I won't get like a whole manuscript. Um, I'll get like snippets of a manuscript because it costs less to the author. Mm-hmm. Um, and the disabled character might not be in the entire book. They might only be a side character. But I've also worked on some RPGs, which I thought was really cool. So that's not something that's like is going to be published in a book but it's going to be like given to a specific like video game community or rpg community um which those have been definitely my most interesting projects because some people have made like uh prosthetic legs and arms and wheelchairs into um armor that you can get in the game and they have certain abilities and so so cool uh, to fun. think about like if that was real and if my wheelchair can actually like climb up walls and stuff like that yes really amazing i I wish that was real i definitely takes advantage of that so
1: yeah i know i know that's (laughs) awesome so is that more of a story or i mean a written story or um actual video game
0: um yeah it's more it's so it's called an rpg and it's just what is an rpg i'm sorry i i don't even know what the actual what it actually stands for but it's basically (laughs) a video game that's a lot more involved than like something you're going to play like on a screen um for like five hours or whatever so there's like it's, there's a lot of world building there's a lot of character building and, and there's like pages and pages of like what characters do what uh, what certain armor does what certain skills do um it's kind of like I guess like Dungeons and Dragons is kind of comparative to that so there's like books and books about how to play the game and all the characters and all that sort of thing. So it just very involved sort of video game. Very cool. So, you know,
1: you're talking so much about what you do and how you're using your story to basically help the world and help them see you. So I'd love to get into your story and hear more about, you know, what you've been through. So, you know, you're talking about your lived experience. So how would you describe that?
0: Um, My lived experience, yeah. Well, I have something called spinal muscular atrophy, which basically means. But well, when I was born, all my muscles were pretty weak. Um, but they get weaker as you uh, with time, unfortunately. So, like when I was a baby, I could like um, I, I could never really crawl or stand. Um, but I could like sit up on my own, and support it um, and like move my arms around and my legs around more than I can now. So, just things get progressively worse over time. That, so that's what my that's what I would call my lived experience. Like I use a wheelchair, a power wheelchair. Um I have three of them I'm trying to tone it down to two, but I haven't figured <laughs> out how to get how to get rid of one of them yet. So one room in my house is like my wheelchair room and I have my wheelchair center. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my like what I consider myself, how I consider myself disabled. But Within the past couple of years, there's actually been a couple of treatments for this uh, disability. There's been, um, they're both like medications. So I've been on both of them. And I haven't had the best experience with either of them, honestly. I haven't gotten any worse, which is one of the good things about them, which is what they're supposed to do. Um, But I haven't gotten any better either, um, which I kind of wasn't like hoping for initially. I I had a feeling that I was just going to pretty much stay the same as I was, um, just knowing my body and knowing how I react to things, but I'm happy that I haven't uh, gotten worse from them.
1: Yeah.
0: And another thing is, uh, I guess about me and my disabilities, that I now have um, a robotic arm. So it's not on this chair, it's on my other chair. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'm able to use that to do things like help myself take a drink of water, I've also been using it to like hold my phone because if my phone's like a my lap and I'm driving my wheelchair, I can't really see the screen because I can't look down enough. So that's been helping me with that. And it's also been helping me uh, actually eat ice cream again because I couldn't eat an ice cream cone because I couldn't hold my arm up long enough to, to have the ice cream cone. So I've been able to use that to do that, which has been really fun. And uh, i am really happy about, yeah. What's so, your favorite
1: ice cream flavor?
0: Well, that's a good question. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. So the only ice cream that I've used with it so far is the you know the mini cones from like Trader Joe's that have chocolate on top that are dipped in chocolate. It's like vanilla yes. ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been doing those because they're smaller, um, and I wasn't quite sure how it was going to work, so I didn't want to get like a bigger cone. And plus, I'm just like I'm, I can't eat that much just just because that's the way I am. Um, so it's like the perfect size for me. Nobody um, should be I, eating
1: that much anyway, even though well, we did
0: I, but. <laughs> I disagree. If people are eating a lot of ice cream, they should definitely eat a lot of ice cream. You're right. Like, you're right. All the power okay. to you. Um yes. I just physically can't. So but I I also like um chocolate chip. I guess. That's a that's a, a mm-hmm. good classic flavor. And vanilla is always good. I'm not I'm not a huge chocolate fan. I like I do like the like the hard chocolate on top, yeah.
1: Yes. Honestly, I do love that. Um, yeah. yeah. Vanilla is underrated most of the time. I think people think Definitely. it's a basic flavor, but it is yeah. a genius flavor. That's incredible. But you
0: can do so much to it. Yeah. Like you can add stuff to it, and hamper. it. And um, yes. I'm, I'm like a big fan of like almond too. So like vanilla and almond flavors together are just like divine. So yeah,
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, so when you were growing up, were you in a wheelchair like while you were in school? Yeah, I've always
0: been, I've always, I've used a wheelchair since the age of five. Five, okay. So I know the podcast won't be a video, but the chair that I'm in right now is actually the chair I've had since I was five. No um, way, wow. Yes, yeah, so I just always felt the most comfortable in this one, Um, and as I got older and became a teenager and an adult, my the wheelchair vendors really pushed for me to um start buying adult wheelchairs, um, even though I don't really fit in them very well. But based on the kinds of things that I was doing, they thought that an adult wheelchair would be more appropriate for me. If I like went to New York or something, like those chairs are built better for that. Just the way the wheels are and the the center of gravity on them, it makes it better for like terrain that's not like the inside of the house or um black and stuff like that so it does make it easier for me to travel and go on trains and go different places but this wheelchair my my oldest chair is only for the house so when i'm at okay. home i'm always in this chair um but i never bring outside <laughs> yeah
1: but it's the one you're comfortable in so yeah that's, that's good um I'm, yeah. i i want to know like who were the people in your life when you were younger telling you you know, if there were, but I'm assuming there were based on who you are, that, like, you could be whoever you want to be, and you don't need to let this stop you, because, you know, I'm sure, you know, you have experienced adversity in your life, but I, I want to know who were the people who were telling you who you could really be.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely my parents, Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, yeah. I don't really think that anyone didn't tell me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do, but I think that people will say something but then not believe it Mm. like you know people will be like oh yeah you can do whatever you want to do and then like a couple years later or even later in the day they're like i mean i just said that like i don't think that they'll be able to she's disabled she can't do anything like come on i just said that to 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 try to uh, bring a smile to her face or whatever um i can't recall that many people telling me i couldn't do anything Um, As they should Which I'm happy about. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So when you were in high school, looking at your next steps, what were you envisioning for who you would be?
0: Well, I was really into, like, I really loved English class. I always did. Um, And I was was reading, obviously, a lot by that point, Um, ever since, like, I want to say, like, fifth grade was when I really started to get into books. And I've never stopped since then. But I was also really into theater at that time, um, especially after uh, my sophomore year of high school um, was when I really got involved in the theater club. Um, my best friend was in it and she was like, you should join, you should join, you'll love it. I'm like, all right. Um, but she was into acting. I wasn't. So, but I, I joined and I ended up doing a lot of assistant director work, which I really loved. And so because of that, I thought that I wanted to be a director. Uh-huh. And when I was a senior, I directed Charlotte's Web and a couple of short, like, one-act plays, um, which I had a great time doing. I had a really fun time doing. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a director. That's what I'm going to be. And that's what I went to rather thinking it was going to happen. And then I think it was freshman year we had those, but some night classes like once a week that we would go to and, and uh, a theater professional would Lab. come speak. Yes. Yes, Lab. Weird
1: <laughs> name, by the that. way, but okay. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. So we had Lab, and I remember um, Robin's husband came to talk about dramaturgy, mm. and um, I did not know what that was until that point, and I started latching on to that, and that's what I did for a bunch of shows at rather. And by the end of college, I had helped one of our professors work on the play from like the ground up. So it was like an independent study thing. So I helped him kind of edit it and work on fixing things uh, just from the ground up. Like he had just started the play and I had just started the semester. So we kind of put our heads together and uh, worked on that, which was a fun project to do. And, and that made me really interested in dramaturgy. And, you know, I kind of thought I wanted to do that for the rest of my life until... Yeah. Uh, yeah, until um, I realized that there's a lot of trouble involved in that, which is something I can't do. Um, after we graduated, I went to a dramaturgy like, workshop for 10 days in Washington, D.C., uh, which is really fun. I really learned a lot, met a lot of cool dramaturgs. Um, <laughs> and it, it was a really fun experience, but I knew that from that, I kind of learned that all of the dramaturgs who spoke to us, really emphasize that you know travel is a big part of the job and it's a difficult thing to make a career. Um you have to do a lot of freelance work. Yeah. And I kind of have transitioned over to publishing since then and sensitivity reading. And that's just as difficult sometimes it feels like. um, I still haven't gotten my foot entirely in the door to get a full-time job. So that's something I'm currently working on. Um, and that kind of has been my sole focus for the past year, year and a half, I guess, really since the pandemic started. And I've been grateful that I've been able to have a couple internships meet a lot of great publishing professionals, some who are disabled, some who are Actually, when I left college, that's when I started working for Includus Publishing, where I work for now. I'm now currently an editor there. And the woman who founded it, she has the same disability I do. So oh, we wow. kind of connected over that. And uh, I started out as her intern in 2017. Um and now I'm another bear. Um and it's been just a great experience. And we're trying to really trying to work on it. So it becomes a fully fledged publishing company. And now she has other interns. And it's just been a really great experience working with them, finding literature with disabled characters and uh, finding disabled authors who want to submit to us, which is what we're in the process of doing right now. So actually today is a big pitch event on Twitter for disabled authors and um, books with disabled characters. So one of my jobs is today I'll be on Twitter looking for pitches of books that we want to publish. So that's what I'm doing today besides this interviewing.
1: Good for you. So that's the focus of the whole publishing company is finding.
0: I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Finding authors with disabilities who want to publish a book and just books that have disabled characters in them.
1: That's incredible. And it's, you know, you want it to just be normal that anybody can submit a book or a story about anybody and just have it be read. But right. I, that might not be the case right now. So the fact that you guys are really providing a platform for these stories mm-hmm. and for these authors is just amazing. So ugh. yeah, thank you. Yeah, of you
0: course. Really, it's tough in traditional publishing because what happens is the people who are the gatekeepers basically in publishing um do their best to to take the required amount of diverse voices. But that's it. Mm. They don't want anything extra. So you'll have a disabled author um, who has an agent submit a book to a publisher and they'll say, oh, we we already have a book by someone who's disabled this year. Like, we don't need another one. We're good. But that's not the point. Like, the point is the story, not the quota. So that's something I would also like to help change eventually if I can get my foot into the publishing world a little bit more.
1: Yeah, which you are. It makes me want to throw my microphone when you say that. (laughs) Like, we already (laughs) met our quota. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's a story about a person. A person who's lived and experienced so much and so much more than the majority of people have. And you want to learn about the stories and their perspectives on life, you know? I don't know. So, you know, you obviously read a ton and you're going through different manuscripts. How many would you say you go through a day or a week?
0: Uh it depends on when manuscripts come in. So we've only published I think maybe a little bit over half a dozen books. So um I'm not constantly reading for them. Um but I do have a new project coming up soon that I'll be working on. So it can really depend. It can be anything from like zero to like five maybe. Yeah. If if it's if there's a lot going on. Yeah. And but I also read a lot on my own so that I can like stay abreast of like current books that I want and stuff. I really want to be in the young adult space mm-hmm. and the middle grade space. So I'm usually reading a lot of middle grade and young adult things and um sometimes some picture books depending on like if I know I'm gonna be interviewing at a certain company that really values picture books. But I'm always I always definitely am reading something at some point, whether it's for work or for not.
1: I mean that's great. And I'm unfortunately like kind of on the opposite I read but I'm like all right I need to read more like that is always my goal is I need to read more but I really do love it I just have to actually sit down and do it but I have yeah. honestly that was a goal in the beginning of this year and I have stuck with it I'm reading every night before I go to bed and I do love
0: oh. it <laughs> yeah. it sounds ridiculous saying it did. to you um no I mean there are days that I go by where I don't read at all What's going on in my life? Like it takes me a while to get ready for the day and also to get ready for bed. Like and if I'm showering or something, like that takes like a good couple hours. So I'm not reading at that time because I'm just tired or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. or if I have a lot of other work to do for I'm I also have a full-time job, so uh-huh. um I'm doing that work while I'm doing all the other work. So I'm usually have a lot going on, but the past couple of weeks, I've been lucky to be able to spend some time reading for fun.
1: So good. One thing I'd recommend to you that I read recently is *The Beauty of Breaking* okay. by Michelle Harper. Yes, um, and she is a doctor in the Washington D.C. area, and she's basically telling stories about her patients and how they've affected her and her view on life. I read it; it was mm-hmm. honestly a, a really, really interesting story, um, memoir. Wow. So
0: yeah, okay, yeah. recommend that to you. Um. Yeah, that <laughs> like sounds good. Yeah, so I like hearing positive stories of like medical yes. situations because I've definitely had a lot of negative medical experiences. So it's nice to have some uh, happy, positive, uh positive and inspiring, I guess, medical uh, right, stories. right. But
1: it's real at the same time. You know, you see the ups yes. and downs, but it's all about the beauty of breaking, which is the title of the mm-hmm. book. You know, and um, how to look at life. In a more grounded sense, I guess, after experiencing hardships. Um, yeah,
0: and I'm sure it's,
1: it's nice to hear
0: that doctors are influenced by their patients. Because, yeah. you know, it's like when you go to the doctor, you don't really think about them afterwards, really. Um, and it's like they've had to deal with like 10 years that day or something. And it's hard to do uh-huh. that. And it's hard to, and I'm sure a lot of people are not willing to listen. I so know, I know. Hearing that they're they also influenced by their patients and they're not just seeing them as like someone to necessarily fix, yeah. um, but that that they are a whole person themselves too is um good to hear.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is the truth, you know. So that's what I've met read most recently. Um, but to talk about you, um back to you with um Stories that you've read more so with your work, I guess. Is, is there anything that really sticks out in your mind of being especially powerful?
0: Um, I'm gonna go with a book I read a while ago because I don't. Uh, I'm not sure if I can talk about most of the things that I've worked on Makes um, sense. right now, yes. <laughs> especially if they're unpublished. Um, but a book that actually I used to work for Kirkus as a reviewer, and a book that I reviewed was called. Um, this Is Not a Love Scene by Estee McGill. Um, she also has spinal muscular atrophy actually. Um, and I was assigned that book to write a baby rub and I just loved it so much um, because that was the first like actual representation I saw um, of someone who was very, very similar to me. The story is about this girl who is, I think she's 17. Um, she's really interested in, uh shooting video and making videos making movies and her like project for one of her classes is to uh make like a 10-minute movie and she goes about doing that and she ends up casting this guy that she finds really attractive she like wants to pursue him and stuff and um it's just a great example of disabled sexuality as well um it is a ya but the book ends with like them not really being together but they have sex
1: mm-hmm. and that's like
0: the last thing of the book which I thought was awesome because one of the stereotypes is that a lot of people think disabled people are asexual um, aromantic um etc which isn't true and um I love that the book turned that on its head um and called it out um and it was just a really sweet story that I always think about And I hope that there's more books out there like that. For also an adult audience, because a lot of the representation that I'm seeing of disabled people is all in children's, middle grade, and YA. It's never an adult. Um, Or if it is an adult, it's not really a great representation. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That book has always really stuck with me. Um, I wish the author would write more books. I don't know what happened. but, um, But she actually saw my review and reached out to me and was like, Thank you so much for giving me a great review, Um, and it was really sweet, and I'm really glad I I got the opportunity to review that book, and that's the book that really, really impacted me in
1: terms of disability. That's amazing. This is not a love scene, you said. Yes. That's what Mm -hmm. it's called. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I want to read that, too, and I feel like that's one of those topics that, like you said, there are these stereotypes around, but no one... Is ever comfortable to like ask a question or talk about it. So those stereotypes stay the same. So we need stories like that in order yeah. to break the molds, unfortunately, yeah. but it's true.
0: Yeah, I actually um, wrote an article on, have you ever heard of Scarlet King? It's a sex ed resource for um, people ages, I think, 14 to 21 or something. I and mean, okay. I don't know why they include the ages, but I wrote yeah. an article for them. <laughs> I wrote an article for them about, like, it's, I called it um, Sex and, and Caregivers, so if you're a disabled person and um, you have caregivers and you want to have sex, uh, I wrote about that and, like, how you can go about doing that in a respectful and healthy way. That article kind of reinforces the book a little bit to me, and that kind of inspired me to write it, so. Yeah.
1: Would you want to get into that a little bit, of what exactly that we is? We can talk about that, sure. If you want
0: to, Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought because as a disabled like a teenager, it's hard to have privacy, especially if your parents take care of you. And I definitely dealt with that a lot. So my parents' house was very inaccessible. Um, there was steps to get in, steps to go upstairs, etc., cetera. And I couldn't get up them. So I'd be carried up them. Um, and before I went to college, I never had access to caregivers who weren't my parents. So my mom is the one who took care of me a lot and I had not been able to figure out how to um, have uh, other caregivers. And I didn't know many disabled people. So I didn't know that really that was an option until I went to college. And I had never dated anyone anyway in high school, like not until I got to college. So it wasn't really an issue, but I was still kind of living at a home and also living at school. so like. It did exactly become an issue, but I figured that if I had been dating someone like more intimately, I guess, then it, it would have been an issue. Um, but I'm, I was just thinking hypothetically, because when I had my personal care assistants at school, it was kind of a, something I wasn't sure how to bring up. If I wanted to have sex with someone, what was I supposed to do? Because right, it's
1: awkward. They were supposed yeah.
0: to be with me 24-7. But I didn't want them in the room. And I know a lot of disabled people who have their caregivers help adjust them and stuff during sex, which is something I personally wasn't comfortable with. Yeah, um, not that I would have needed to because my partner is able-bodied um, and can do whatever needs to be done. But um, I just thought it was an interesting topic to sort of think about. and I wanted to think about ways that disabled teenagers could, bring that up to their caregivers, whether they're a parent or not, in a way that both parties can be respectful and in a way that they both got something out of it. So that's kind of why I wrote that article. Um, and I can send you the link too, if you want to like link it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't remember the majority of it since it's been a couple of years, but um, I had a lot of fun doing like some creative problem solving and thinking about um, how to get my point across which is something I have to
1: do a lot. <laughs> you're just amazing, you know, because you've been through these situations, but the fact that you're willing to share your experiences to help other people who might be in something similar, you know, that takes a lot of vulnerability yeah. <laughs> that most people don't always have. But it's so special to have someone like you who's like, yeah, I'm going to help people who need that help. That's great.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, is that for a lot of things, I don't have a choice. Like when I have my personal care assistants, now i've heard people um they said to me like oh it's great that you're so patient with me and that you're willing to have someone else do this for you and i'm like but i don't have a choice like i can't do it for right. myself so mm-hmm. i'm not great it's just what it's just what i have to do to like get through the day and be the person i want to be yeah, yeah. but you know but, yeah i do want to definitely use my experiences help other people as much as i can because when i was younger um Because I didn't see people like me in the books that I consumed or in TV I watch or anything like that, it made me really reject my disability. Um, Mm -hmm. And I only surrounded myself with people who weren't disabled, and I didn't want to try to make friends with other people who were disabled. Um, And I pushed that part of myself away because, I mean, even though it looks like I'm disabled, um, you can tell I'm disabled, but just by looking at me. But I often tried to like assimilate to non-disabled people um, just to kind of prove that I wasn't like other disabled people and I could do the things that every uh, normal person could, not normal, oh my god, um, non-disabled person could because no one's normal, so I hate using that word normal. Yeah,
1: but it's um,
0: the truth, but, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if I saw those people... Um in my books um and in what I watched and consumed that I wouldn't have felt that way and I would have accepted my disability a, a lot sooner than I did. And you know, now that I've accepted that and I know other people who are disabled, and I can talk to them about things that I couldn't talk to non-disabled people about, I feel like so much better mentally. And I just wish that I'd been able to to find that when I was like younger um like middle school high school age um yeah. so that I could have been like I am now like
1: I'm years ago it just goes to the wider topic that we hear all the time but it's the damn truth that representation matters and we need to see it in so many different areas but yours included you know mm-hmm. it's it's something that is so necessary in this world and yes like you said we are seeing some improvement. But I just hope it just keeps escalating. So we see more and more and more. And it just becomes the norm. That's just how it should be. So I
0: think we're still waiting for a big moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because right now it's not our big moment. Um, But one day, hopefully, it will be.
1: One day soon. And you're being a part of it. You are. I know we've been talking about it. But what is the biggest change that you want to see when it comes to you know, reading stories about people who are disabled or, you know, just hearing about people in the media who might have a certain disability. You know, what is the biggest change that you want to see?
0: Well, I think I have a couple of them. One is that when there is a disabled character in the story, I want a disabled writer to have written that first before the non-disabled people take it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because what I noticed is a trend of, like, Non-disabled people writing disabled characters inauthentically, and I mean, at some point, I'm fine with that. But right now, I feel like disabled people should be telling their own stories, and it's not that we're not trying to. It's just that we're being kept out of the system. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're not seeing as many stories by disabled people. So I want them to be able to tell their stories for a long time before anyone who's non-disabled decides that they should have a character with a disability. And I also just um, want to see, like, less inspiration any kind of stories when it comes to disabled people. Um, I don't know if you know the term inspiration porn, but that's something I use a lot. A woman, uh, Stella Young, coined that term to talk about um, when disabled people are, like, gratified for doing something that isn't gratifying. She talked about when she was a kid, her. her community of money to give her an award um when she was like 16 I think and she was saying that all she was doing was going to school having a part-time job and watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> so she didn't really her parents didn't think that merited any kind of award um that's funny but, but she, yeah <laughs> but um she knew that people wanted to feel better about themselves and That's why they create these, like, inspiration narratives. You know, they end up really being really harmful to disabled people um, because it sort of perpetuates that notion that we can't do anything besides, like, maybe get out of bed and have a good day because of our disability. But obviously the truth is is that we can do so much more than that. But i I really like to see the erasure of that narrative because it's just really harmful. But I know that's a long way coming.
1: Yeah, but even just you saying that it helps, you know. And yeah, yeah, that is something that we see. I've seen it in my personal life. I've seen it in the media as well, just putting somebody with a disability on a on a pedestal, I guess, just for being a nor a I don't know, quote unquote, like living a normal life, I guess. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I mean I think you want to celebrate those stories, but at the same time, I totally see what you're saying. You're just living your life and you're just mm-hmm. doing your thing and you, nobody else is getting an award. Like <laughs> yeah. it's fine. That's just how it should be, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's a really, really great point to bring up. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking at your future as an editor, as a publisher, maybe even a writer. I don't know if that's something you're interested in. I she don't goes, sure. no. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you see for yourself in the years to come?
0: I would like to become either um, an editor or an agent. So when an author is writing a book, what they do, they don't send it to a publisher right away. Um, they need to send it to an agent. And um, if an agent likes your work, they will uh, work with it to help you edit it a little bit. Um, and then they'll put it out on submission to publishers. And that's sort of how you get published. You can't really just call up a publisher and be like, hey, buy my book, please. So it's a, it's a long process. And I would be interested in doing that as well. And um, uh, I like to explore kind of both the veins of the publishing world. Um, and of course, there's pros and cons to each. With being an agent, unless you're with a really good company, you have to. Spend a couple of years building your list of clients and you don't get paid until you sell a book. So mm. it's not something that comes with like a yearly salary, like being an editor would be. But the sort of downside of being an editor is that you can't always choose what you like. You kind of have to bow down to your company and fill the quotas that they want you to fill and pick the things that they want you to pick. As an agent, you have a lot more freedom to choose the client you want to work with. But I'm interested in exploring both avenues. Um, I'm not really sure what will come after that. And obviously, if I'm down the editor route, I'd love to like, like a lead editor of a company. But I'm not like holding my breath or anything. I just really want to work with books in some capacity and work with disabled authors also in some capacity. So as long as I'm doing that, I think I will be uh, happy.
1: Yeah, you're going to do great things. It's so exciting to see. Um, do you think you would ever go back into the theater space at all?
0: Definitely, yeah. I'm actually, uh, I'm also doing that right now. I'm um, working on dramaturging um, a musical yes. about cystic fibrosis. Oh my so, God, um... Maddie.
1: <laughs> like, just slide that in at the end. Like, that's that's amazing. Yes.
0: Yeah, um, it's called Fall Risk. Uh, do you remember uh, Nicole Dorman's? She was a uh, yes, name. yes. Mm-hmm. yeah she um, she's working on it as well she's one of the producers so um i kind of found out about it for her so. oh my
1: gosh i can't wait to see that eventually that's so exciting
0: cool. oh <laughs> yeah, my God. i don't know what's happening with it in terms of like actual production in person right but we are doing a live reading of the first act i believe in august so very very cool
1: oh uh, you're i mean you're incredibly busy you got so much going on but it's all things that relate to what you want to do and your vision so that's I mean anybody can hope to just be doing that during their days you know so good exactly. for you on that yeah. Yeah. yeah one more question or two more questions for you if you could go back to yourself when you were a child what would you tell her
0: this is a question I, was I don't know how I'm gonna answer This. Um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> I think I would say to keep reading yeah that's that's it because i don't want to say something that would change the trajectory of my life because i think that i like the way that things have gone even though like i didn't accept myself because of my disability at first but but if i did accept myself um at first i don't think i would have like found the community i found and be at this point today so i feel like in a way it was a positive thing but um Definitely keep reading because um that's
1: important. It is. And you learn about the world through books. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then what do you value at the end of each day?
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, I definitely really, really value the, the people that I've met and the people that I've worked with. I'm thinking specifically about um inclusive publishing here because we just started with um a new team of interns, which I'm really excited about because I think all of them are disabled and uh, it's been great to sort of like plan the future of the company with them and to find other people who are disabled and are interested in uh, different parts of publishing. Usually I feel really hopeful at the end of the day for what's happening like the next day or the next week, just in terms of me. Trying to take the next step in my career, and me like um, connecting with other like network professionals. Um, I do a lot of like informational interviews with agents and editors, so I can kind of meet people like via Zoom, like this forum over the phone, and you know ask some questions about their career. Um, I get to know like, the ups and downs, so that way I kind of have another person to recommend me um, in my belt for future job positions but it's also just really interesting to learn about how everyone has gotten to the point in their career where they are now and where they started because so many people have started like in a completely different field and it's just interesting to learn how they got from point a to point b um i really yeah. like listening to those stories and it makes me hopeful that i can have that story too. well
1: It is. I mean, you've shared your story with us today and come Mm. back in a year, two years, and then we get to hear that point (laughs) B too. It's so exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maddie, I can't thank you enough. It's been just a pleasure to talk with you and hear about your story and your life and your career. I mean, it's so incredible. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Where, if people want to find you and connect with you online, um, do you have certain platforms that you want to share?
0: Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at midbop, M-I-D-B-O-P. That's pretty much where I do most of my uh, social networking. I also have Instagram, but it's not that interesting. It's just like pictures of my dogs, so. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that's what everyone shares, yeah. so I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I know you have a very, very busy day ahead of you, so I'll let you go. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for your time, you. um, and we'll keep in touch for sure.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. right. Thank Thank you, you, Maddie.
1: All right. Have a nice day. Bye. You too. Bye.